0: A mechanical freak we're broadcasting live from somewhere in the nation's capital an entire country away from overcast seattle washington that city of the future on the bleeding edge of neoliberal dystopia today where in front of us nine supreme court justices howl and squeal with mystified delight at the shadows cast <laughs> on the white wall before them from the shapes <laughs> of our hands <laughs> <laughs> it's another week of Mechanical Freak. It's me, Colin, Greg, and Munya are, are with me as hey, well. Hey. Um, yeah, so how's it going, everybody?
1: Doing good. Feeling good. I'm on a good level. Good. Feeling, I'm feeling good. good.
2: I'm back on my medication. That's Let's always go. good. I'm feeling it. Uh, I'm not being troubled by that uh, heart arrhythmia that I've mentioned uh, to you all i've had over the past year um tell me tell me what what type of guy am i if like what type of guy is this guy who takes so much of a, a common uh supplement for so long that he presumably like reaches toxic levels in his bloodstream and um causes himself a heart arrhythmia a minor one but ivermectin guy i think <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah basically yeah i guess i've been taking too much magnesium like double apparently the normal like dose of a supplement which you probably don't even need anyway i was took it for reasons don't don't worry about it uh for like so long and um and then i thought because of other things that the arrhythmia might be from my medication which when i gradually got off it because of that you know under doctor supervision wasn't the worst thing in the world but i kind of wanted it back anyway and uh now i am it's and it's kind of reminiscent of that time where between like 2012 and 2016 i juiced so much kale every day That I probably gave myself heavy metals poisoning, um, (laughs) causing like uh, brain fog and uh, and an aversion, a a reaction to gluten, possibly, which I guess is something that like health food uh, idiots all over America are suffering from because basically all farmland is polluted and cruciferous vegetables, particularly kale soak like will literally clean all of the heavy metals pollution like thorium and cesium out of soil in like one growing and this is fine if you like eat a normal amount of kale like in a salad once in a while but if you are juicing a a handful of it daily for four years um it can like build up in your brain and shit and uh cause you problems i'm that i'm apparently that guy so so that's why the podcast is so good <laughs> <laughs> yeah because of the the brain damage i did to myself well your body can process this stuff out but not if but it builds up if you have too much and um boy, i tell you what and yeah in a very similar way like when i stopped when i read that years ago when i read about this and i was having these symptoms for a year before that i stopped juicing the kale and like within a month or two, like my problems went away. And it's even more this time, when I stopped taking the magnesium within five days. My, all my like weird heart arrhythmia like went away. Um, so I am, I'm just a fucking helpless idiot. I mean, just like a, a health food store hippie, just out of control, just totally self-destructive,
3: Dude, a I'm a fucking, Robert I'm Durst. a fucking,
2: like, I'm a Steve Jobs. Like, I'm, like, the, the asshole who, like, eats fruit to cure his cancer, basically.
1: <laughs> well, you know, it's funny, because Steve Jobs, when he was at Reed, like, he was, he was <laughs> on that fruit tip for a while. Like, his cancer one, you know, was, like, his last hurrah, but he's been on that since, like, college and maybe even earlier. And when he was at Reed, like, multiple people... said that one time like he'd like walk into class or you rarely even went to class like walked into like you know like a a dorm room or something and like saw him around and he was just like his like face was just radiating orange because he'd insist on only eating carrots and so like he'd just be walking around literally looking like a walking carrot like you know like because man's like just thought like it was like good and, and he also believed that um, because he was on an all fruit diet, that means he didn't have to shower either.
2: Oh well that's because true, obviously. There would
1: obviously. be no odor from all the you know Oh
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well no, yeah, no I mean, he doesn't have the meat sweats <laughs> and you know, he's not eating onions or garlic. So like yeah, I don't like you know, what's the problem? Why would you need to shower?
1: Yeah, exactly. All is all is cured. Cancer and hygiene.
2: <laughs> yeah, so I'm an idiot. Uh you know. What else are we talking about today? Oh, you're in good company. You guys have seen the all these scenes over the last few months, including up to this week, of the hooting, baying, hollering, slavering uh, chuds, uh, freaks, uh, weirdos at school board meetings. I mean, the most recent ones I've seen are these... Uh, are about uh like mask mandates in schools like you know kids are going back to school and there's a school board meeting and everybody shows up literally like packing these gymnasiums and meeting halls and whatever else standing room only crowds people packed outside to like denounce wearing masks in school for their freedom you know all that shit um but before that and probably still this is still going on there was the whole like critical race theory insane panic And I think today I want to like talk about that and uh, then bring it, bring it something closer to home and talk about like what the flip side of that looks like uh, or what that like uh, reaction on your school board looks like in a wealthy, educated, liberal enclave that you can't really blame on the same kind of, you know, Trumpist mob.
0: Yeah. um, So before we get into the critical race theory component of this, uh, we should maybe briefly mention you had found this tweet, Munya, uh, from Ron Filipkowski. To your point, Greg, about wearing masks, we'll link to it in the show notes. But basically, there's a woman addressing what we assume is a a crowd of fans, T-shirts off, um, people crowd surfing and stuff. (laughs) And it says... It says, woman wearing a mama, in quotes, t-shirt at the Encinitas School Board meeting says her cubs, in quotes, will refuse to wear masks this week.
3: And tonight I'm simply here to tell you to unmask our children. We're done begging. In fact, we're done asking for permission. That's right. We are going to be unmasking our children today. That's right. The pandemic is over. The parents are done. We're done asking you, public servants, for permission. We are done.
0: We're done asking you for for permission. The pandemic is over. We are declaring our freedom. Boom. Then she says she and, and her friends are running for school board.
1: <laughs> yeah, and this woman is um a former Miss California and this is like in um in San Diego and she like gives this impassioned like two-minute speech on how, you know, like, how dare you, um, you know, totalitarian, like, psychos and sickos on the school board, you know, how dare you, you know, force our kids to wear masks.
3: We are declaring our freedom tonight. We do not consent to the lies, fear-mongering, and abuse. You all know it's abuse. Sorry. This is tyrannical leadership, and poor leadership. None of you are willing to stand up for our children. This is why we are all here tonight cuz we're fed up. We're done asking permission. We're done playing games. The pandemic is over. We are done. Andre, we're done. That's right. See the chairs that you're sitting in? We own those chairs. Mm-hmm. See these lights? We pay for the lights. Mm-hmm. Not you.
1: And it was just, like, and, and while, while the person, like, who's recording is, like, hyping up the whole time, like, mm-hmm, that's right. Like, doing this whole, like, <laughs> snaps and everything. um, And it was just so fascinating to me because, like, it seems like, I mean, I have heard these talking points, like, from, like, other um, places, too. And, like, even, like, um, you know... Locally, but just in different videos as well. and it just seems like a general trend where these you know people and you know parents are like kind of riling up and ultimately you know running for these um, school board seats, because you know, these local public offices, like they are pretty like thankless jobs, they're poorly compensated. And even when like things are going like well relatively or normal um you know they they're not like the most fun in the world but they're super super important institutions so you know i think like when this is happening it's like curious because you know a lot of these elections are coming up like what happens when all of these people start running um for these Positions too, um, and for like the school boards, um, which can you know drastically shape what direction the school boards go in, right?
3: And I'm gonna let you know, Emily, you're up in 2022, Greg, you're up in 2022, Marla, you're up in 2022, and Jody, you're up in 2024. I know that myself, I would love to run for school board. And I know many, many
2: mothers. And you, like, you were saying off mic, Munya, what? all of these, this like, you know, parks and rec on crank scenes are probably going to cause a lot of these people, these doing these thankless school board jobs to just fuck off and be like, I'm not dealing with this shit anymore. Cause why would I, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. The Orlando Sentinel, um, even reported on this saying that hostile school board meetings across the country are prompting members to ask, why am I even doing this? And, I think a lot of them, you know, will just quit. And a lot of these like positions usually like run unopposed in a lot of different counties, especially smaller counties. Yeah. Um, but it's like usually people who actually do, you know, have a genuine good faith interest in the in the school board, uh, in the schools
2: themselves. But maybe, I mean, that certainly probably is a lot of people, a lot of places.
1: Yeah, yeah, of course. They don't want to generalize there. Uh, but, you know, from just like eating shit with the critical race theories stuff, and now like with the mask mandates and like it's like having a whole gymnasium packed with those psychos it's like yeah a lot of them are asking why the hell am I even doing this this is like <laughs> this is like a, a nightmare right Um, which will end up you know freeing up a lot of those seats
2: yeah so our mama bears out there are doing direct action and looking like they might just get the goods right like they're pressuring a political establishment they're showing up organizing in numbers uh and they may take power in a lot of these places and that does sort of lead you to wonder like is it possible that's uh actually the whole point it like obviously that is where we're going to go with the critical race theory stuff but like it seems to me that's a very different one that the critical race theories we'll get into is like this very nebulous like bit of bullshit like right wing racist bullshit but it's very like it's very weird and hard to pin down the mass mandate stuff is like uh, could I mean some of these so, is it possible that finally with schools going back in some of these places that are not going to do where most of the kids are not going to wear masks which is going to be a lot of the country where no no kids in America are vaccinated with the Delta variant and how contagious it is, even among children, you could see... Oh, wait, did it, wait is this... You had you had posted this, didn't you, Colin?
0: Yeah, I've, I've got it right here. So it was a CDC-funded lab, and it predicted that in elementary schools without masks or regular testing that 75% of children might be infected with the coronavirus in the first three months of school.
2: Fuck. I mean, that is that's going to be a lot of America. No masks, no testing, no contact tracing, lax vigilance on like keeping kids out of school who are sick and or test positive, right? That's going to be most of America, right? And this shit is so yeah virulent and kids are so, they're just like stuffed in these classrooms with poor ventilation. A huge number of kids are going to get it. So This woman is up here saying, I mean, I know this sounds like everything. This sounds like a like a liberal fantasy that like, oh, the, you know, chickens are going to come home to roost for conservatives in some way or another. Like, and that's been a fantasy people have had sort of grimly for this whole fucking pandemic. But like, in this case, there's something, you know. American society is so atomized and disconnected. And in the pandemic in the first year of it was, you know, a lot of people were on some level of lockdown in a lot of places. Like they, we were in various ways, curtailing our already separate lives socially. Like, and school isn't that it's like a place where everybody knows what's going on and they're going to be told what's going like. You're, Gonna hear about it one way or another. When lots of kids are staying, are getting COVID, the, all the parents are gonna hear. Even in some places, they're not gonna hear very like timely or well, right? Because like the school districts aren't gonna keep track of it, or but it's gonna get around. It's gonna people are gonna figure out that their kids are getting sick. People are going to read in their local papers. Ultimately, the number of kids who are dying, you know, it's gonna be some small percentage of the ones who get it, but. But like, Jesus, like imagine being the piece of shit who says the pandemic is over. We're standing up for our freedom. And then six months from now, like some number of kids and maybe yours are dead. And basically, by the end of the school year, every kid has gotten COVID and and many have like struggled with it and been in the fucking ICUs and shit. Like, I don't know. Something to watch for. I don't I mean, honestly, who knows? Maybe they'll get away with a
0: grim death cult.
2: Yeah. I mean. They do seem to just want want to die or kill their children.
0: Well, I think you touched on something interesting, Greg, which is also underscored by the critical race theory story that we're about to read, which is that I think on the right there is, and you could probably say the same for the left or the center left, that there is a contingent of people who are true believers and people who are in it for money. And you're seeing a lot of the true believers like conservative radio hosts dying of COVID, right? Uh We haven't seen, as far as I know, any television talking heads um, from the right die of COVID. So some people are aware of the game that they're playing. Some people aren't. And when you see people like this woman in San Diego, um, they kind of are like unfortunate collateral damage to this culture war where I'm not sure that they understand uh, the game that's being played, which is the game that the cokes are playing um, with critical race theory. And that is to say uh, that this is all basically, all of these arguments are, it's not about COVID, it's about control and dismantling the state, et cetera, et cetera. So if you're not familiar with critical race theory, it actually comes from a one time seattle uh S- seattle city council candidate christopher rufo
1: very
2: briefly uh, honestly a, a blip to, on his resume <laughs> exactly
1: <laughs> a blip i don't know yes. yeah i mean i guess he did technically file with the sec but <laughs>
2: or he was online
1: so yeah. much that he decided to get out. Uh, dodged one for sure <laughs> <laughs>
0: So we'll put an asterisk, I guess, next to his name. So he comes from the Manhattan Institute, I believe that's the name of it, which is just uh, one of the brain bug hives of conservative thought. And you might know him as being more or less the guy behind Seattle's Dying, most of the rhetoric behind that documentary. He moved on to Critical Race Theory, which is where he took a what's characterized in this article in the nation um, as an obscure academic concept to kind of um, create a cultural backlash against quote unquote wokeness um, or critiques of structural racism. So that's kind of the backdrop of this. And you may have first heard about this when uh, Trump, I believe banned uh, banned diversity training for a while for for federal contractors, uh, which I think has since been repealed but that's that's sort of the backdrop right and then we didn't hear about it for a while and then all of a sudden we were hearing about it all over Christopher Rufo was profiled in the new The New Yorker several other magazines uh. were writing were writing about this um, and a few states started to uh, Bring legislation to ban critical race theory in schools. Um, so that's kind of the the history. It is so
1: wild to me that critical race theory as a concept became the lightning rod for the culture war, because when you say obscure academic concept, it truly was, like, an obscure, (laughs) like, you know, useful, like, academic concept that people use, but it was, like, solely kind of in this academia. Like, for that to suddenly blow up into, and, like, to have a whole kind of um, backlash built around it and a caricature and everything, like, by knowing what it actually is, it's just very was very bizarre to see and can show that just really anything can be spun into because like, I think after they just kind of lost the not, not they never had a plot to begin with, but it's just like the, when you say critical race theory or any other, like what we call like politically charged term, it's not even about what it even is anymore. It's like just really about the, like the, the made up idea that they build around that name you know, and um, so it's just like really fascinating to see that really play out in real time because truly it was solely it just within academic institutions.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a good lesson. If you want to create a boogeyman, like find a real person. Like it can't be completely fake. <laughs> you know, find a scapegoat, you know, an actual thing that you someone with a birth certificate, you know, you know, start with a grain of truth.
0: Yeah. um, And this has been such a boon for Christopher Rufo that he has recently been tying this uh, critique to the fall of Afghanistan.
2: Oh, case, that so, rocked.
0: In case you're wondering what, <laughs> what he's been no, up cause, to. Cause, cause, so, uh,
1: <laughs> I mean, he also, by the way, before we even go into this, I mean, he visited the Trump White House to celebrate yeah. the victory on critical race theory and like took a picture with Trump. So like I mean like that's yeah he, and got that's COVID. like the extent and got COVID. His whole face right. got COVID. Oh when he <laughs> went to the White House he got COVID. Just like what a stupid ass country, man. Like that's if that's not quintessential
2: to this shithole. Like I don't know what, what it really Dude, is but saying that that the Afghan people didn't have buy-in with the US backed uh government because we sponsored like gender studies in Afghanistan is <laughs> man it's i mean you got to give the guy credit for just like never letting up you know
0: yeah he knows what he's doing and he admits as much in that new yorker mm-hmm. profile but uh so as we've been alluding to, maybe there is some force behind this. And that's what this article is really about. And it's titled The Radical Capitalist Behind the Critical Race Theory of Fuhrer. Uh, and this was in The Nation, written by Jasmine Banks. And we've, we're we not going to read the whole thing. Um, just kind of the <laughs> the smoking gun, you might say. So... It it begins, both the highly influential Heritage Foundation and the American Legislative Exchange Council, which has known ties to the Kochs and a long history of driving conservative state legislation, held webinars devoted to attacking CRT. The Manhattan Institute for Policy Research, which, again, we just mentioned is Christopher Rufo's home, where he has some title like VP of mergers and acquisitions or something, (laughs) alone devoted 43 separate articles or videos to the topic. Why is the Koch network so dedicated to this cause? It is a prime example of how the network has built up an alliance between the three pillars of the right wing, the Republican Party, rich corporate elites, and conservative white and evangelical voters opposed to racial progress. The CRT fight helps all three. Republicans get a manufactured controversy that motivates their base to keep them in power, and they get the financial support of the Kochs and their corporate friends. The Kochs and other radical capitalists get a false panic around the state of public education, which helps their ongoing campaign to privatize schools, and they gain allies who will push the economic agenda that keeps them at the top. The overwhelmingly white Republican base is rewarded with a story that is easier for them to accept than the true one, a story where they are both the heroes of American history and the true victims of the American present, oppressed by quote-unquote political correctness.
2: So all these hooting masses of like Trumpites in these insane videos you see in in these from these uh, school board meetings have been effectively organized for the purpose of taking control in schools uh, using culture war wedges and you know what's interesting about the post. Trump era is the mask has been pulled off. So you can go back to the original American culture war battle, which is race. Like just, you don't have to yeah. uh, cloak it in anything anymore. You don't have to blow a dog whistle. It's just racism. It's just a race war. Who's going to come out on top, you know, white people or everybody else who is like, I think this article puts very eloquently like who is going to be the heroes who are we going to think as a society are the heroes of our society and who are the aggrieved victims you know right now as as the empire is crumbling and fuck man it works and so they're going in here and i mean we've talked about this many times on this show the like the coke and gates foundations like uh dual attack on on public schools uh in an effort to privatize them to get rid of uh teachers unions and to open up a source a new market for profit uh where currently exists mostly just the state that it's uh it's very predictable like this is stuff the details are coming out now like about all the they literally i mean this is what these think tanks do they held webinars and uh fucking articles and teach-ins and shit to like get to deputize a bunch of people to go out in their communities and gin up this horror, you know?
0: Yeah. Uh I think it's interesting too that this is one of those times where the right has projected uh its fear in rhetorically while um being completely guilty of the practice itself by basically astroturfing this whole yeah. movement. <laughs> it's it's interesting the paid protester Mm -hmm,
2: phenomenon mm -hmm. yeah yeah right So, so like the i mean again these videos are wild the like quotes from these people that mama with her cubs you know the pandemic's over the the critical race stuff theory stuff is like the gibberish coming out of people's mouths um at some of these meetings like you're not gonna teach uh Uh, My kids that uh, white people are evil or something like they just like, you know, you start with this grain and it gets passed on. It gets telephoned and into the imaginary of the white racist, like uh, suburban middle class, you know, small business tyrant, Chud. And I think liberal America, the libs like look at this and have the same reaction that they have to. Have to the whole Trump phenomenon, right? Like, is these are these are the dumb, unwashed crackers out there in Middle America? These are these are poor, uneducated losers, uh, you know. And I, you know, as with so much of the Trump phenomenon, that's almost certainly not true. These, uh, you know, I, I absolutely don't believe anyone who is pulling in less than hundred k. is showing up to a school board meeting in, even with these massive crowds. I don't believe that for a second. These are fucking, these are people coming in in their fucking, uh, new trucks. You know, these are suburban small business tyrants. These are people who own fucking vast, like landscaping empires and, uh, the beautiful boaters, the beautiful boaters. That's exactly who this is. Yes. It's not for people. They're probably a lot of them are fucking, have fucking degrees, you know? And that's, that's, has a, you know, a total parallel, I think, with, um, the whole Trump thing with fucking, it's, you know, these, a lot of these people are the same people who probably showed up, uh, at the, all the state houses last year and, uh, a lot of at friends, the Capitol, of right? the people and some of the actual people who I'm, who were at the Capitol on January 6th and just, you know it's it's one thing to go to like start breaking down in all these sort of social right-wing phenomenon in this country about like uh look no the income is actually higher than you think you idiot these people own businesses these are you know the fucking uh the rural gentry the fucking landed peasantry of America not the fucking poor unwashed but i think a better like uh example of how like that whole narrative uh, of our politics is bullshit is right here in the uh, greater seattle metro area we have you know for those of you listening outside of seattle i think we have some you know we're starting to get some yeah uh listeners from outside of Seattle, of like,
1: national baby
2: hell yeah part of what you know part of what motivates us to do this or a theme that eternally returns is that liberals in this town think of Seattle as and the and king county as this progressive area uh that's because it's wealthy it's educated you know we're the most uh well-read city in america <laughs> people <So we> here's <laughs> been hearing shit like this for years uh it's liberal seattle progressive seattle and of course you know you get on the suburbs everyone knows that's more conservative but right now we have a story from a school board election one of these elections is happening now The the names are already on the ballot uh in bellevue uh which is the very large dense suburb just opposite lake washington east of seattle uh you know the two floating bridges cross the lake and meet the glittering skyline of bellevue it's uh downtown mid-rises surrounding its tony mall and then it's just acres of a lot of really wealthy zip codes of suburban like McMansions. And there's a school board race going on there now. Surely it's uh, going to s- be
1: normal. <laughs>
2: yeah, surely it's going to be normal. So, like, this was just dropped by Rich Smith and the Stranger hours ago. It's about one of the candidates for a school, one of the school board positions. Her name is Faye Yang, a dietician, which I'm going to totally like prejudicially declare like a bullshit uh thing that's full of wackos i i don't really know that for sure but it sounds like it you know and first that's generation immigrant war. with two kids
1: <laughs> yeah i have like a tu- i have an empty tub of ice cream right by my <laughs> right by my <laughs> side right now so uh nice. you know i think that that's bullshit too
2: in the past this candidate has criticized the district's 2019 equity and accountability policy, which aims to quote, eliminate racial inequalities and inequities for all marginalized students. So that's the basic gist here. Colin, you want to read us some of uh, Rich's article?
0: Sure. So in a 2018 email, to several Bellevue School Board Directors, Yang argued that a policy designed to reduce racial disparities would be non-viable because it wouldn't okay. serve enough white and Asian students and could, uh, <laughs> could uh, run okay. afoul
2: of a state law prohibiting
0: discrimination.
2: Uh, can't do affirmative um, action because it's reverse discrimination. Is uh... It's a classic, okay, all right we're getting we're we're uh we're getting toward the edge here already already, I'm very concerned, I'm sure it'll be normal from here on out. This is an educated professional woman. <laughs> this is a woman, a woman running for office, guys, uh a dietitian, come on, this isn't some hooting, chud, this isn't even a white person a, a literal scientist.
1: I mean, I yes, believe in it, yes. science and we're and we're electing women in twenty twenty one.
2: Yes, this is a scientist in Bellevue, Washington, the city between Seattle and the Microsoft campus. With this its, is who Biden uh, listening Microsoft to. Microsoft and Amazon Towers. Yeah. Yeah. OK, so Raymond
0: Gulch. All right. Just
2: All right. Let's keep all that in mind as we read this.
0: Though black and Latino students in the district graduated at lower rates than white and Asian students, Yang argued that higher numbers of white and Asian students fail to graduate. And so trying to increase graduation... It's a small numbers problem. It's basically what Yang is trying to argue here. And so trying to increase graduation rates among black and Latino students would clearly fail to address the district's largest needs. Yang went on to argue that graduation so, rates.
2: I'm worried enough about Yang here that I'm going to start making some assumptions and, and analyze this. Basically what she's saying is that because six, uh, because Bellevue has remained so successfully segregated, uh, and has <laughs> <Yep>. so <laughs> yeah. few black and Latino students. The fact that they are underperforming compared to white and Asian students, which make up uh, most of the district, uh, the east side actually has a you know, very large Asian population, um, makes it not really a problem. Like, what are you worried about? It's like so we d- we did it me. like we successfully segregated so that we don't have to worry about black uh, graduation rates
1: yeah normal and very very normal and it seems like honestly you know this myth of the 21st century which is that we're in this post racial Society, and you know, when we think of segregation, we think of Jim Crow, we think of you know stuff like that we saw in like black and white photos, you know, and like now we're not there anymore. But I mean, America is more segregated now than it even was maybe 40 or so years ago, 40 even more years ago. Um, and that makes segregation really the default. So anything that's not that is alarming, even I've you know, even for me and this is just like an anecdotal example, but I think it just underscores it. Like me, like in Brooklyn, right. I'll be like, you know, with friends who are, you know, of different skin tones of different, you know, races, quote unquote. And people will look at us like people will be kind of like thrown off because it's like not, even common to be on the subway and see people of multiple races really hanging out like they they could be in the same subway but they might be on two different ends and I think that this just kind of underscores it in a way because if you're doing a talking point about that you know it's not fair to say that uh 50 percent of black people don't graduate because there's only four black people in the school that says a lot and that's like a deliberate choice that's not natural and I think that um We're tended to believe these racist ideas that these are just natural happenings that, you know, it just so happens that white people coalesce in the richest, you know, uh, places and go to like the most well-funded schools because, you know, of some natural selection reason and not because there was deliberate, you know, choices made that are upheld today too. Um, So it's, it's just like always keep that in mind is that like the playing field isn't even, but it's also... You know, a set of choices that people deliberately made um, that was a part of a longer project.
2: Yeah, funny you bring up natural factors, Munya. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, uh, I also had a comment, but I don't want to spoil it. Uh, so it goes on. Yang went on to argue that graduation rates for black and Latino students were predictably lower. Most likely, in quotes, due to the immovable element of genetic disparity between the races when it comes oh. to IQ scores. Oh, and cited the bell curve oh. by Richard <laughs> Hernstein and Charles Murray <laughs> to support that claim.
2: Classic. So, oh, so really, <laughs> I, if we weren't wow. here, like from the language up to now, there's, you know, it's it can't be helped. It can't be helped. Listen, there's only four black there's students. Nothing we can do, and there's nothing we can do there's nothing the system there's nothing the our economy there's nothing our society there's nothing the structure of racism in this country or the instruction we provide our students can do they're just dumber folks there's a word for this it's racism it's just bold <laughs> uh brash scien- scientifically tinged uh like pseudo scientifically styled racism love the co- just love the boldness like the entitled boldness to just cite literally cite the bell curve a, a,
1: a straight up discredited like dumb racist book um
2: well she has something to say about that <laughs>
0: <laughs> so so it goes on several academics debunked that book long ago <laughs> and the Southern Poverty Law Center calls Murray's work racist pseudoscience <laughs> But Yang described The Bell Curve as a book whose scientific validity has never been successfully assailed low these 24 years since first publication. (laughs) Wow. Incredible. So, like,
2: literally, I, I didn't just Google this when I was trying to like justify racism, go down some rap. No, like I'm a fan like low these 25, these 24 years, low these 24 years. That is a phrase since publication. I mean, this is literally her in writing folks. Don't write it down. Okay, Just don't put it in writing that you are a racist. (laughs) This is like, so I mean, like we're in a new era where like, It was understood for a long time that we were all supposed to be pretending, even the right, that we lived in a post-racial society. The civil rights movement basically worked.
1: Yeah, it's like the liberal multicultural myth.
2: Yeah, but conservatives have all these stupid ideas of what racism is so when you call them racist they get all indignant like i'm not a racist i don't i don't hate black people uh, look i have a black friend i'm in a photo with a black man you know all this bullshit <laughs> but like when you actually say there's no cl- the, look racism has a lot of forms it's a lot of things and i think you know we understand that in a way that a lot of conservatives deliberately refuse to do and are they're also very stupid um but one the the one like the baseline (laughs) the the thing that's very easy to pin down is this kind of race science bullshit that it is like you're literally saying the races are different in measurable ways on intelligence and other things. And it's like, I'm sorry. Like that's, that's fucking racism, dude. That's what it is. It's not, it's bullshit. It's not true. And to to entertain that is racism. And now you're trying to run for a school board. And what's so funny. uh, Yeah. This is exactly
1: right, Greg. Like what's so funny about the racism that is exposed, even like within the professional, highly educated, you know, class of people, um, it even reminds me, and it goes back to, even in a full circle in a way, um, the people who run these think tanks, like for instance, Jim Tanton, who, you know, started up um, uh, CIS, FAIR, and Numbers USA, which are all like, you know, like um, far right uh, think tanks, um, helped uh, upstart the Heritage Foundation, wh- who was involved as a, uh, Colin said up top, and um, the Critical Race Theory um, conspiracy, um, you know, he was, I mean, really, I mean, the topic of immigration has not really come up to being in like the mainstream U S political scene until like, you know, like the 1970s and 1980s, right. It's actually a fairly new thing. Like the idea that anyone can go up there and like run for president and say what Trump said is actually very, very new, you know, um, relative to, you know, the history of the U S. Um, and like Tanton and those orgs, um, have really, you know, propped up those issues and it really was hinged on, um, you know, the thinking and race science of the bell curve. Um, their job is to basically, you know, appear very non-ideological and just objective and state these facts. And the only way to, um, if you, take those facts at face value, the only conclusion that you can possibly have is the one that they want you to have. And so he is always just like flabbergasted whenever he's accused of being a racist, which I mean, indeed, like if you want to point to one person being a a racist it would be jim Tanton. um but even he's genuinely shocked because he's like i am not like an uncultured rube like i it's basically the same thing as like what the like seattle liberals kind of say it's like uh, i'm not one of those like i'm not a racist i don't like you know i'm not a racist (laughs) i'm a race realist yeah 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 yeah, they're race realists right um (laughs) um I, I'm just really interested in just the size of people's schools, folks. Uh, <laughs> folks. Um, I'm just really concerned about Western civilization and the downfall of, uh, <laughs> of our culture. Uh, you know, it's like even these people who are clearly like right wing psychopaths, like do not believe that they're a racist.
2: Look, this Yang lady just wants every Bellevue schoolchild to have a set of calipers in their desk. Yeah, they're going yeah, to measure each other's skulls.
0: That's why her campaign is selling a hat that just says genetics on the, yeah. the top
2: of it. I did
0: want to make one point, um, which I think you both were kind of uh, touching on there, that I didn't want to spoil the punchline here, but that I think you're right, Munya, as we see the overt racism or what we, what the culture considered overt racism become, uh, culturally gauche and unacceptable. You kind of see this, um, these other forms like this quote unquote science backed racism or, uh, almost kind of technocratic, um, implementations Mm -hmm. of systemic, um, oppressive systems that are inherently racist, uh, which again, as you both touched on are, are persuasive to both the left and the right. And I think are increasingly um, persuasive to everyone living in the digital age as we continue to put more and more trust in science and technology, which is unfortunate, but
2: yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there is, there is a different character. So like I said, like, you know, we're beyond the dog whistles. And I think that's totally true on the right. Uh, in the professional, liberal-ish, I mean, this person's a conservative, obviously, but like is playing within this, you know, you know, King County, like bullshit, liberal sphere. Um, I think in the professional milieu, the educated, the wealthy, you don't have... You have there is still a layer of mediation for this racism. Right. There is something that they're clinging to in this case. And, that you know, it's this scientific racism. But I think it's I think I want to, like, put a marker down and say, like, that's not a dog whistle. They don't even I'm not going to call that a dog whistle. Like that's that is just bald, naked racism. They're trying yes. to mediate it in a way they think is convincing, like to some people but it's not, they're not not saying it. They're not not saying the racism and hinting at it through some other means. They're just trying to mediate it in some, like you said, scientific, technocratic way. But I'm not going to even give them the credit of saying they're, that's a dog whistle, what this woman's saying. It's just racism, you know? But yeah, very different character.
1: Yeah, 100%. It's like, yeah pure distilled and it's like basically just to make them feel good in a way but it's like just it's like shitty duct tape around what is like bald naked racism like you said like this is like what it actually
0: looks and sounds like mm-hmm. so it continues if Bellevue schools enacted the equity policy regardless of her wishes yang threatened to crowdsource money to retain a lawyer and sue the district. Oh boy. The go go fund me <laughs> back at it again. It's always GoFundMe with these <laughs> motherfuckers, man. In the name of true social justice. And the oh, true hell yeah. The true We're was the
1: real SJ Jobs. <laughs>
0: yeah. The true was underscored there. And uh, Rich notes that the emphasis is hers. It is outrageous that taxpayer true money would justice. pay. <laughs> would pay for what always seems the logical end of diversity programs that teach enmity toward white students. And in Bellevue's case, it would be used to weaken the alliance forged between the whites and Asians <laughs> <Huh>? <laughs> who comprised the vast majority of this community, she wrote.
2: Oh my okay, god. Okay, like now we're getting <laughs> okay. somewhere. Now we've got a program here, Lap. Uphold. The the alliance between whites and Asians. The whites and Asians (laughs) are sitting
0: on the concrete throne in Kemper's uh, Kemperville over there in Bellevue.
2: (laughs) Teach enmity. So this is like obviously this is a very common like pushback refrain against CRT. Now, this is an email she wrote in 2018, but this is a very but you know it comes from you know very old sort of simplistic talking points that like. When you teach about structural racism or the history of this fucking awful, shitty, racist, miserable country, you're teaching kids to have enmity toward white people. Um, Honestly, that, you know, there's levels to that. I mean, I could jokingly say like, yeah, not wrong, but I mean, like, that's really a deliberate misunderstanding, right? But I mean, the real—I mean—that's boilerplate shit. But the real wild part that I love is it would be used to weaken the alliance forged between whites and Asians. Absolutely wild. I mean, what kind of what kind of fucking weird, like fucked up racial <laughs> fantasy is this person's like political understanding based on? Like that is Game such a Thrones. that is such a bold like. Yeah, right like that's what she sees. I mean, that's what if you are a racist uh racist Asian professional lady in Bellevue, I guess you see and you're you care about, you're pissed off that like kids are going to start like learning about like the racist history of this country and like, you know, the district's going to try and bring up performance numbers for black and latino students. You resent it and you think like because you see yourself as I guess the American model minority you see yourself as uh, as you know as, because you are a racist and you see things in racial terms you see yourself as as good as white people and as deserving and you you're glad you're glad you're part of like holding this alliance of whiteness and Asian-ness together that, and, and thus you see your interests as oppositional to Blacks and Latinos in Bellevue. I mean, what I mean, what a fucked up uh, way to live. But that's, again, a person running for Bellevue school district. The the, in these the in like
1: the reactionary mind, like and in like the nativist mind, too, because there is like a lot of like kind of like nativist current in this as well. The whole idea, the the way that like they could single handedly, uh, well, I guess like simultaneously think that. They are both the supreme, you know, race that has been dominated in all of history that needs to be celebrated. They are also the victims of history as well um, that are under attack. And so anything Mm -hmm. that they do, whether that's Kyle Rittenhouse um, literally like shooting and killing people um, or or running racist milieu and, um, you know, the school board. Anything they do is to, in their eyes, they aren't under constant threat. So by any means necessary is like to be, um, is to be celebrated, right? Like to actually convince yourselves in some way that you are both, yeah, the oppressor and the victim of the future that is going to be erased or replaced. You know, by like culture from the outside. Your great culture is going to be. Um, completely erased just simply by numbers and demographics. Um, that allows you to basically, you know, believe that you can do and really say anything because you are, it is in like, like proto self-defense, right? Whether that's physical or intellectually or whatever. Yep. Buying into this racist idea that, um, and honestly, like an admittance that there is a racial hierarchy and that, you know, the fact that there are so many um, you know, fears about even teaching about history. I think underscores that because I think subconsciously, at the very least, they know that it's not really great once, like you know, truth actually comes out. It is radicalizing on its face in America to learn about history, and that's why it is, um, you know, not really taught that much in schools or very resisted against with reactionary types like this.
2: Well, and it's so interesting, like you mentioned, like that this has this you know this comes from this like nativist current which is ironic coming from an asian immigrant but i mean that's what she's saying here is like she sees herself in alliance with white nativism yeah with white with whiteness with and you know is very conscious about that which is uh i mean deeply fucked up (laughs) yeah so many layers to unpack in that one sentence So there's a few other hits here from this lady that uh, Rich uh, pulled out for everyone to see.
0: Yeah, there's it kind of ended with one that I think Brian would have loved. It says here after speaking out against the equity programs in 2018, she threw her support behind a petition to support Bellevue police in schools, in response to other Bellevue parents leading an effort to remove cops from schools, <laughs> in an email to the school board on June eighteenth, twenty twenty, Yang said, "Pulling cops from schools would remove quote a valuable experience from our students, <laughs> our students of all ethnic backgrounds. No, stop. Who will
2: all no. encounter the re of all ethnic backgrounds? I, I want." students of all ethnic backgrounds to have experiences (laughs) with the the cops. That's clearly given my previous, my last email, by the way, did you all read my last email? That's how, you know, I'm really (laughs) concerned about all ethnic backgrounds, having experiences with the cops. Holy shit fuck this lady yeah, did
1: you read my last email where we're going to do a reading group on the camp of saints and talking about the great replacement
0: <laughs> led by Steve Bannon, this, yeah,
1: bu- Steve Bannon. This,
2: she's literally say she's literally the fact that like if you were like a normal not fucking racist person you wouldn't it wouldn't occur to you say to say I mean this was in the context of 20 of the uprisings but like so she's trying to say, but she's going out of her way to say, uh, this isn't a race thing, but it totally is. She's talking yeah. about, she's yeah. like, we need, she's literally what she is saying to herself, what she means, what is motivating her, and her, what she is trying to dog whistle here, she thinks effectively, is we need cops in schools because of the four black students. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's, um, that's what that so means.
0: So the, qu- the quote continues to get wild. Uh, she says, who will all... Encounter the reality of law enforcement in some form through their adult lives, whether yeah. they, whether <laughs> oh, they, no, there's more, <laughs> but yeah, whether they stay in the Seattle area or move to a place where law enforcement stays intact.
2: Mike, oh drop.
0: my god!
2: <laughs> so she was, she was predicting she the off. future, real, uh, real pundit here, real prophet in June eighteen twenty twenty, correctly predicting that SPD uh, and Bellevue PD would be dismantled um, and all of them executed. Yeah. Uh, you know, so. I mean, yeah. you know, we may not like she it. We sure it. got she to respect it. the
0: calls. She saw it from a mile away. And then uh, it ends by saying that the Seattle Times Ed Board heaped praise on the whole field, though they endorsed her opponent, Um they said all are impressive candidates with important objectives
2: owned uh, excellent ec- excellent work by rich smith and the stranger uh,
1: i just love our fucking news liberal media that we have
2: <laughs> seriously
1: uh, it's it's just so interesting how racialized policing is yeah. that you know you have to have those caveats just implied up front saying, oh, no, like, you know, police is just associated with oppressing the most like, you know, vulnerable forms of and upholding what we consider race and the race hierarchy. Um, So it's like, oh, no, don't worry. Um, This, you know, bringing police in, I have to address that is (laughs) like, you know, not even that it's not about race, but it's about all races. It's like, uh, yeah, no, because the default, of course, is that it's like about literally oppressing and marginalizing poor black people. Like that's what it is. You don't even have to specify. You don't have to specify or caveat that when you say police. That's was, what it is. Yeah, I was
0: just gonna say she believes in a world where everyone who deserves to be brutalized is brutalized equally by the police. <laughs> Brutal- yeah, getting
1: getting my kids' <laughs> ass beat in like six period to yeah. own the libs.
0: Yeah! Wow!
2: Yeah! Oh my God! So that's just a little taste of what's going on in the Seattle area. It's it's not just the chuds. It's not just the hooting, uh, unwashed, uneducated truck driving, coal rolling, diner eating, maga hat. It's uh, it's not that. This is a an extremely wealthy, fantastically wealthy uh Seattle suburb with a fucking skyline. Uh, and mansions An AMC like, mall this is where Microsoft and Amazon people live the like, first time I've ever seen like a Lamborghini in
1: person was in Bellevue and I knew that whenever I could like see like really cool cars it was never like really like in Seattle I'm so sure you can see them there but it's guaranteed if you go to Bellevue you'll see like the cool exotic mm-hmm. sports cars and stuff like it is like a very wealthy enclave of um, the greater Seattle area
0: it's called Colch. Yeah. Um, so after all of that uplifting race science, we wanted to end on something um even darker, which is the was it category four? Did I see that? Her, I think so.
2: Yeah, so Ida, when it made landfall yesterday, was a category four with 150 mile per hour sustained winds um so if you don't know uh, you probably do especially by the time this comes out yeah massive hurricane hit new orleans and the gulf coast on the 29th sunday it's the definitely the biggest one to hit the u.s since katrina in 2005 actually 16 years to the day uh it made landfall and you know if you if you're maybe younger than us than me and colin Anyway, um <laughs> I, you know it's possible you don't necessarily remember like Katrina that well, and so, as we like think about the people who are without power in a large part of the Gulf Coast, certainly the whole city in New Orleans still is without power. It's horrifying because I mean, as you know from Covid and just living in America, like those people are gonna be fucked, I mean like the way people in Texas were fucked this winter just. Losing their power, like there is no system that's coming for them to help largely we don't know what the final like you know what the worst parts of this are going to be, but we do know that sixteen years ago to the day, Hurricane Katrina hit the Gulf Coast, hit New Orleans, and is one of the great disasters in American history, and one of the great sort of uh revealers of the total dysfunction of this country one of the great then crimes of the bush administration one of the great like highlighting incidents of the barbarity of american policing one of the most important sort of case studies for this stage of capital we're in that is about you know seeking every opportunity of disaster and war to dismantle the state in uh favor of neoliberal privatization so you know they're they're different they're going to be different. We don't know really what the toll is going to be on that city and the surrounding area from this one. It is not quite the same. Like I said, it was a category four 150 mile an hour winds, but it only made it within the first like 12 hours, like a hundred miles inland and a different path than Katrina. Katrina, when it hit, it was only a category three with 125 mile an hour winds. I mean, it's fucking fast enough, but it was moving a lot faster and it was a lot larger. when. 250 miles inland in the first 12 hours. It went over Lake Pontchartrain, uh, north of the city, which it then pulled water down from there to flood the city. So it got flooded from both ends, basically. The storm surge from Katrina, which is when uh, the ocean level actually rises, was 25 to 28 feet. So like sea level literally rose 25 to 28 feet. You know, the first part of the story of Katrina and the horrors that went on is the, is the levees. The levies were very old. They'd been poorly maintained, which, you know, it's easy to imagine like a, you know, st- state infrastructure falling apart, but this is federal infrastructure. It's maintained by literally one of the only functioning organizations, uh, left in America to the degree that it is. Uh, and that's the army, the army Corps of engineers, uh, maintains this kind of uh, builds and maintains this kind of infrastructure and it had been left it had been basically the funding to keep it up like everything like all our bridges in america like everything else was crumbling and was insufficient and certainly insufficient for for climate change of which hurricane katrina was one of the earliest like really salient Things where people were saying, like, yeah, this was very this is the worst thing we've ever seen because of climate change. Um, though back then, like, you know, there was still a lot of skepticism on in the news media about that shit. So storm surge, 28, 5 to 28 feet, topped the levees. Some of the parts, some places the levees broke, though, even before they were topped. It's common, like, once water goes over a dam or a levee, the rushing water over it, like. Or starts eroding it like they're not designed to do that and they fail and they it failed like that in some places but other places they found later had broken before it was even topped so the levees were too small for a category four they were certainly they hadn't been touched in decades basically they were just shit uh they were just piles of dirt uh they broke between that storm surge and the the storm passing over like punch train pulling water down from there the uh when it was all over 80 percent of new orleans was flooded with uh in some places water as deep as 20 feet that so is the, crazy the photos if you see it are literally just like miles and miles of just like the tops the the pointed tops of roofs of houses sticking out um and so that's the first failure, right? Like, this is the legacy of the crumbling infrastructure of America since, you know, we started defunding everything uh, since the Reagan Revolution. The levees hadn't been touched. Uh, then there was this massive hurricane coming. Everybody knew it was coming. The National Weather Service knew it was coming. And the word was to shelter in place. <laughs> and you have uh, winds and flooding that knock out power for everybody and flood and people were stuck on the roofs of their houses, living in their attics with no food and no drinkable water for literally some people weeks. The preparation was basically nothing. The immediate rescue efforts were extremely lackluster. Then you have, uh, people, uh, just thousands and thousands of people displaced their neighborhoods destroyed. They flee the city to places like Houston, When people do start getting out on buses, because you can't live, the city is basically destroyed. It's basically like Atlantis. And the key details, part of the city is literally uh, below sea level. That's why it has levees. And those tend to be the poorest, blackest parts of the city, of a very black city. Thousands of people are bused to places like Houston and are literally living in cots in convention centers around the whole of the South. The big one was the Superdome where thousands of people were just like on cots living for for basically like months, I think. Yeah, this is the Bush years run by a bunch of fucking crooks and like, do, you know, every agency staffed by fucking donors to the campaign, like fucking with the FEMA guy. Brown What was his name. Something Brown. Uh just a complete mismanaged, like clusterfuck, where finally, like people get to move into these like shitty, molding, uh, disgusting old uh, portable trailers. You know, like the portables uh, they have, like when schools are under construction. You know, but like even shittier and cramming people into them, where they just li- had to live in for the next year. So there's that level of destruction and chaos, and just there, just so little help or preparation. And then you have the the sort of neoliberal scam of it all, where, I mean, if you want to read a good book about the Bush years, um, Naomi Klein's uh, The Shock Doctrine is, is a good one because she uses a, basically the two great sort of crimes slash fuck-ups of the Bush administration, Katrina and uh, the Iraq War, uh, and connects them to historical processes and histories and ideological fights and, and it's it's really pretty good if you want to like a background in all of this um and you know the the premise of that book is like is so perfectly exemplified in in Louisiana where even from the fucking moment the storm hit people are in the legislature in Louisiana in thing in the think tanks in the lobbying groups are all saying like hey look we took care of public housing in louisiana there isn't it's all gone now we finally we can redevelop that shit we got rid of all the poors hey all the schools are destroyed and the people the poll the poor black people who were living in the city have been scattered around the south and literally we bust them there they have no money and no home so they're probably not gonna get back for a while all existing power structures And communities have been destroyed so we can rebuild it from the ground up. And we can and basically like New Orleans uh, school system was completely privatized. Like it's the most like uh, charter school hell in the country. And the last thing to talk about, at least that springs to my mind, is the sort of string of police murders that came out in the aftermath where people trying to flee the city from the sunken black areas uh, across rivers and bridges into the nicer, higher white suburbs were stopped at gunpoint by police in riot gear, uh New Orleans police or from those suburbs and told to turn around and go back into the flooded city. Or they were just shot. Uh I've got some, you know, some highlights here from um uh Anola.com article I'll just read one. There's a bunch of killings and probably not all are known about. I mean, there's a lot of suggestion that a lot more people were killed during this time. The official death count of the entire affair from the feds is like 1800 people. That is complete bullshit (sighs) Horseshit. shit. Um, This is a good one. So uh, September 1st, 2005, you know, three days after the landfall, when, Kenan McCann was shot multiple times by SWAT team commander Jeff Wynn and Lieutenant Dwayne Showerman. The officers said they spotted an armed McCann trying to ambush other law enforcement personnel, responding to reports of a band of criminals who had staked out a truckload of bottled water parked on the Claiborne overpass. McCain died, denied having a gun and sued the city. He was shot to death outside his home in 2008 before the case was resolved. So, picture a city flooded, its people, its black population, abandoned in the sweltering heat. Live like a lot of people are literally stuck in their attics without anything. You know, if you if you were out and you were black and and in a poor area of town and you managed to get out from the flooding and you thought to yourself, I'm going to look for bottled water to drink myself and maybe distribute to people who are dying bottled water. That's on a flooded truck. That's never going to be sold at this point. You might find yourself uh, being shot by police for looting as a band of criminals who were staking out a truck full of bottled water. This, you know, this is what was going on. Barbaric. <laughs> yeah. And these are like
1: the stuff that we like read and like see in post-apocalyptic films and literature. Like that is the scenario that we see and it happened right before our eyes in Katrina.
0: And I think it should also be emphasized here, just quickly, that this was um, racially politicized in media coverage, where you would have photos of white uh New, or- New Orleanians who were stranded or trying to find things to eat or taking things and they were characterized as trying to survive. And then you would have black people who were looting. Um and this was all over mm-hmm. the media at that time. Yeah, no, that's a that's a really good point.
2: So this hurricane's a little different, higher winds, seems to be less water, and in the intervening time the levies were rebuilt and built higher and stronger during the Obama years. Cause I mean, so many things like fail and yet don't improve. Right. But like at this part, because the army still functions as an institution and has like pull, the army Corps of engineers was se- severely embarrassed and ashamed of this. And so it actually got done because they wanted to do it. They wanted to go and and rebuild the levies. So the levees have not failed. Um, because overall, it seems like the uh, there was less water, less storm surge. It didn't go over Lake Pontchartrain. and went a different area, so it didn't have that water. So there's flooding, but way less flooding, but higher winds. So still, people are trapped without power, no air conditioning. It's sweltering hot. And then I was reading, a, uh, I think, a CNN article or something, and they quote this guy. Uh, Ramsey Green, New Orleans Deputy Chief Administrative Officer for Infrastructure, he's talking about like how, oh, thank God they didn't fail, so we're doing okay here, emphasized, it, emphasized the upgraded levee system on Saturday ahead of the storm. Quote, this is a different city than it was in August 28, 2005. In terms of infrastructure and safety, he said at a news conference. Yeah, I mean, it is in terms of infrastructure and safety because they did rebuild the levees. But um, it's also just a different city because that, the sort of hollowing out that took place meant like a lot of people never returned. And a lot of people never, a lot of the black residents in New Orleans never came back. Their communities, their houses were destroyed. Many people did eventually, though it took people years. Uh, People were living, you know, in trailers somewhere or with family in other cities, and finally, like, some people got back, but basically, an American city was basically destroyed, and, uh, you know, then deliberately allowed to collapse, and be taken over and privatized. So it is a very different city, uh, in a lot of ways. So, but that brings us to the mayor and police chief of New Orleans. Uh, Just uh, yesterday, I believe, yeah, when this was going on, or maybe this is early this morning. Oh, yesterday evening. Yesterday evening, uh, a few hours after landfall, this is what they had to say.
3: Not a time to venture out throughout our city at all. It's unsafe. Chief?
2: Yes, I will echo the same. Without power, that creates opportunity for some, and we will not tolerate that. We will implement our anti-looting deployment to ensure the safety of our citizens, ensure the safety of our citizens' property, and as the mayor also stated, because it is dark, because it is without, we are without power. We need to be vigilant because you are traveling in an area which you will put yourself in danger, which ultimately will put our public safety members in danger. Wow. So please shelter in place, and we will get through this together.
1: So after all of that, they. And with the history of Katrina, they are concerned with looting. The police are saying, um, yeah, fuck this whole evacuation thing. Forget the fact that we evacuated like 100,000 people affiliated with the U.S. or U.S. citizens from Afghanistan just a few days ago and, you know, ended the war in Afghanistan effectively today. Um, so, I mean, proving that they are able to do a mass evacuation which is not even in the discourse or even the cards. Um, the police truly are there to say, please do not go to the Nike store and break windows. Please do not <laughs> go to the target and like get some food.
2: Yeah. I mean the whole thing, the thing is longer and it's, that's literally it. It's just talking about, look, the power's out. So everybody continue to shelter in place, stay in your homes and you are going to be flooded in and like, you're not going to have access to anything stay in your homes and by the way if you don't uh, good chance we're going to think of you as a looter it's dangerous it's da- he's the this is the black mayor and the black police chief of of New Orleans saying don't worry not talking about what else the police department's doing like what they're doing to like you know uh, fucking, I don't know, get people the food and water they need, rescue people, not really saying anything about that, saying everybody's staying put, but, including us, but we will be sending out our anti-looting uh, efforts. And by the way, if you go outside, it's not just dangerous for you, but you're endangering our public safety personnel. So that, that was a key for me. It's yeah. basically saying, like, if you're out on the street when we've ordered this, you're putting. They're already having their mind. You're that. You're a danger to us. If you're they're that means they're walking around going like, if someone's out on the street disobeying the order to shelter in place, they're a danger. So their fucking their they're fingers are on the fucking triggers. They're they're uh, yeah, fucking <laughs>
1: disgusting. Automatically fearing for life, which means basically we're gonna do like a RoboCop style execution on you if you go outside. Cool.
2: Yeah, basically. So. I'm sure there's places to donate I'm sure there'll be ways to help uh, over the over uh, probably the next weeks uh, to the people of New Orleans and and the rest of the Gulf Coast um, but uh, yeah climate change folks this is what it's about every one of these events is gonna keep just destroying the wealth of society but it's gonna be it's you know the the rich people are gonna be okay it's they're going to ground you are going to be ground into dust society's going to collapse It's going to be t- your every all this the public wealth is going to be destroyed and what's left to rebuild will be privatized and owned by the rich and um you can go fuck yourself
0: <laughs> pretty grim um i wanted to recommend uh an article that i had read in july about somebody's firsthand account um who is from Louisiana and what it's like in the aftermath of a hurricane. It's called Where I Was From by Lauren Stroh in Oxford American. Um, I'll put a link to it in the show notes, but it's a pretty powerful, uh, very short piece um, about her experience. So, uh, (laughs) I think that was it. So we have one patron to thank, Tom Dallas. Welcome to Let's the Freakfold. We're very happy Faith to have on you, Tom. That's yes, a real person. A uh, very real name and person, Tom Dallas. New best friend.
2: Um, uh, mm-hmm. Say hi to Briscoe County Junior for
0: me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, if you want to be like Tom. You go ahead to our Patreon account and sign up for five bucks a month. You get all kinds of goodies. You get an extra episode every week. And sometimes you get extra, extra episodes if we're feeling generous. And there's a whole back catalog. So you have a lot of catching up to do. Um go check that yeah, out. We have a Discord as we well do, for yes. our patrons. And it's now getting hot. It is getting hot now that we have Cerise's help from Big Soy yeah. Naturals.
1: <laughs> we we we're uh, we're spending all of our Patreon money actually on consulting fees for Cerise. <laughs> yeah, Big Soy Naturals is part podcast, but also part Discord consulting firm. So you know, yeah. it's a multi-tiered business.
0: Well, that MBA and posting that Cerise has is really yeah. coming through here. Yeah, <laughs> exactly.
2: Um, also. At my cheese monsters in the Discord, like dropping all her best posts, and not they're not going to be on Twitter anymore.
1: Oh wow! So, okay. Oh oh my god! Yeah. So you're actually going to get they're some. Just going to be in posts. our Discord. Yeah, we love it. Yeah. So if bonus episodes weren't enough for you, get on that Discord. Subscribe. Yeah, episode sixty
2: nine will only be available on the Patreon. We're we're, we're, we're at nice. we're at
1: very significant numbers. We're at episode sixty nine, and I think we're zo- zooming in on a hundred patrons. So, yep. if you want to be the hundredth patron, we might do something special. Probably won't, but we might. And it's always about the chance in America, <laughs> and that's what
0: counts.
2: Yeah, there's no law against us doing something special.
0: Yeah. <laughs> we'll buy a, an NFT and right? Uh, <laughs>
1: yeah. We'll mint our own. <laughs> we'll mint our own NFT. <laughs> we'll, we'll
2: pretend to make a digital asset and then pretend to give it to you. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing, basically, as the NFT market. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> All right. Well, we'll catch you next week. Bye. Bye.
2: Bye.